From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We are law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in and welcome back to my mini-series discussing the intersection of technology, privacy, and cybersecurity. I'm your host, Marissa Polowitz. Today, we're delving into the world of private firms. What do data privacy and cybersecurity lawyers actually do every day? How technical does an attorney working in this area need to be? Competing, conflicting, and overlapping privacy laws continue to pop up all over the place. How do attorneys keep up with it all? And what does privacy and security litigation actually look like? Aaron Charfus is a partner at Paul Hastings, LLC. He serves as the firm's global chair of their data privacy and cybersecurity work group and as chair of their Chicago litigation department. He sat down with me to work through these questions and more. Aaron has years of experience as a cybersecurity, privacy, class action, and data protection trial lawyer. He has litigated a variety of data breach and trade secret theft cases and supports clients in developing global privacy and data security programs in the healthcare, financial services, technology, and consumer product sectors. Please note, all opinions expressed on the pod are solely those of the individual and do not reflect the views or opinions of guest employers or those of Loyola University Chicago. Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be able to talk to you. Um, So I want to get started a bit with what sparked your interest in data privacy and cybersecurity. Yeah, so I actually started off as uh, an IP litigator um, and spent about 10 years doing IP litigation. And I always loved the the science and the technology of the whole thing. And I also liked being able to take really complicated subjects and creating a way to describe those to people who are non-technical, whether it was a judge or a jury or whoever it was. And that for me was the fun part of it. And so um, at one point in time, there was a big Supreme Court case called Alice. Alice kind of changed the IP litigation landscape. And I really sort of started to think to myself, is there maybe a different area of the law that I am interested in getting involved with that is really just starting as opposed to IP litigation, which is actually a very mature area of the law. And, you know, uh, cybersecurity and data privacy, I started looking into it. It was right around the time the GDPR was coming into force. Uh, Privacy Shield had just fallen. And so there was just so much going on that it was really interesting to me. And it allowed me to also use my technical skills. And as time has gone by, it's really evolved also so that I can use those skills in translating really technical stuff to something that a you know a non-technical person can understand. Again, we're in court a fair amount, so whether that's to a judge or a jury, but just as often we're talking to you know executives and boards of directors 
of you know large companies who've had a major incident who are thinking about what to do with their privacy and cybersecurity programs and they really don't want a really heavy duty technical discussion <clears throat> they really want to understand what does this mean to us what does this mean to the company and i still get to use those skills too so that's really how i got started in it i started it in a different area of the law and found something that was closely related that's interesting. Um, I personally am non-technical, but I've spent my entire career working in infotech or cybersecurity, and that's the area that I plan to practice in. Um, and so given that you actually have a technical background and you do have technical comprehension, what's the level of technical comprehension or knowledge that attorneys going into data privacy and cybersecurity need to bring with them versus how much they can kind of learn on the fly and learn once they're on the job? Great question. So my background, my educational background is in environmental sciences. And so I did take chemistry, organic chemistry, physics, but I will tell you that very little of that makes any difference to a cybersecurity incident. Um, what I would say is, is first and foremost, people have to be curious. You have to be willing to, you know, as time goes by, learn a little bit, learn a little bit about, you know, what vulnerabilities are, what breaches are, you know, the differences between servers and you know active directory and all of those kinds of things which will sort of sneak into your lexicon as time goes by um, but i think that fundamentally there's also a big difference between privacy and cybersecurity. and i know that you had actually talked to bill henning on a prior prior podcast about the difference and i actually articulate the differences a little bit differently and and to answer your question, it actually makes a, it's an important distinction. So for me, privacy relates to what information does a company or an organization have about an individual and how can they use that information? And cybersecurity is how do we protect that information from an information security standpoint or an IT standpoint? And how do we protect the enterprise? Because as we know, now hackers are not just going after credit card numbers. They're looking to shut down plants and, and hold you know, people hostage from that perspective. And so when you think about it from that lens, the, the concept of privacy often requires very little technical background. It has a lot more to do with just generally, do you understand the difference between least privileged and most privileged access, right? Can you access everything in a company or are you limited to only the things that you're working on in the company? And that level of technical detail is something that you know many people have. When you get into cybersecurity, you do often have to have, like I said, an interest in getting more information. Tons of members of our team don't have a technical background, do plenty in the cybersecurity space. And in fact, we actually have an internal consulting firm within our law firm where we have technologists who help us in an incident to sort of translate and get more information. They can actually dig in with the client you know, help them on the on the really the technical side, because we're very clear that that's really not what we as lawyers do. We can help sort of move the investigation along, but ultimately we're certainly not fingers on keyboard technologists, and we try not to play technologists either. So along the same lines, what would your recommendations be for students that would be interested in getting into data privacy or cybersecurity on the law side as to how they could kind of educate themselves a bit more to get an edge on the market or be more ready for practice? 
Yeah. So, you know, early on in somebody's career, you know, things like IAPP certifications are nice because it's a really good way to show people if you don't have the real world experience that you're both interested and you have the ability to um, appreciate and bring some information, you know, right in day one. Um, you know, if there's a class on cybersecurity and data privacy, that's great. But the truth is, is that so much of what we do bleeds over into all these other different regulatory spaces. So it's financial services. We often get asked the question, is this, you know, a financial institution? Well, you have to have a good understanding of GLBA, Gramm-Leach-Bliley to be able to make that determination. We, we deal a lot with healthcare information and many of our clients actually fall outside of the HIPAA spectrum. So they are clients that get patient information, but they get it sort of through sort of a consent as opposed to business associate agreements. And so they really don't fall within um, the, the confines of HIPAA. So, you know, what I would say is, is that any regulatory structure that you, that students are looking at likely at some point in time is going to have some sort of impact on cybersecurity and data privacy. So just a really good broad-based background, throwing in there a cyber and privacy class would be great. Um, but, you know, the truth is, is it's really hard to simulate what a data breach is like until you live through one. So there's very little you can do to prep yourself for that. Yeah, living through a data breach is never, never something that's fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned a whole bunch of different regulations that pertain to, to data um, and new privacy laws and regulations seem to be kind of popping up every day, both on the state and the federal level within the United States, but also internationally. and I'm super curious about this because this is something that I think I will face a lot in my practice, which is how does a practicing attorney keep up with all of this stuff? Like, how do you actually inform yourself in a meaningful way to be able to advise these clients or respond to an issue? Some of it's just experience, right? You know, you know, going through multiple HIPAA breaches as a young associate, you kind of see the whole waterfall of decisions that you need to make to determine whether or not you need to call the Office of Civil Rights. So part of it is just experience, but you're right, things change so much every single day. And here, I think this is why working in a law firm is actually incredibly helpful. And many of our clients ask us the same question. You know, what do we need to worry about? How do we need to focus in on it? And they are really looking to us to highlight for them, you know, not just a, oh, there's been this thing that changed in the industry. They want us to come to them and say, this is the change this is what it means to you. So the most recent changes to the SEC rules on cybersecurity reporting for either public companies or investment companies, the firm represents a lot of them. So clients really wanted to know from us, well, what does that really mean? You know, what does it really mean for me that this thing has changed? What do we need to do? What are the next steps? And so, like I said, we have a team here at the firm Everybody's got their own interests. We encourage everybody to blog and to write, you know, often. And we have team meetings once a week. And in those team meetings, you know, if you write a blog article, everybody knows that Aaron's going to call on you to give a summary of what you wrote about on the blog. Um, so, you know, it's a great way for us to get information out. People do go to, you know, IAPP, we go to PSR, we go to other things. And we ask that everybody write 
back in to, to get you know, more information? What did you learn? What were the key things that you walked away from? And so there's a lot of sifting of all of the data out there that we do. But the, you know, the other part of it is, is most mornings, um, and I know you're probably going to ask me about a day in the life, but you know, most mornings, my morning starts with reviewing you know, like Law360 and Bloomberg and, you know, a couple of the other law firms, you know, that I think put out some really good information and just reading through all of it to see, you know, what is it's the most important thing. If I notice something that's interesting, I'll often send it to somebody who I know is working on something like that and ask them to look into it a little bit deeper. Um, but it is one of those areas of the law where so much of what we do is just helping everybody stay on top of things, as opposed to, you know, some really sort of areas of the law that, you know, environmental law, ESG has changed this a little bit. For many years, environmental law was pretty set and the changes weren't sort of earth shattering. But, and if they were gonna be earth shattering, it was one big case at the Supreme Court. Every day, somebody's got a new law, new regulation, new enforcement action here. And we really do, rely on an entire team approach to try to cut through all the information to find the most important stuff. So you preempted my question with starting to discuss um, what a day in the life looks like, but I know that we do have a lot of listeners that are interested in going into this world or that even just are, you know, curious about what a day in the life of a partner at a firm looks like, because I don't think that Law school does a particularly great job of giving us any insight into what a normal day would look like for an attorney. So I would love to hear um, what a day in your life looks like. So, you know, so there's there's both the the life of a partner, but there's also the life of a cybersecurity data privacy partner. And I'll actually answer both questions. So from the privacy and cybersecurity side, our group does four, three things. The, the third bucket is a very large bucket. We help our firm with transactions and transactional style matters. So we do a lot of private equity deals, a lot of M&A deals. The deal teams will bring us in. They'll give us all of the information in the data room that relates to privacy and cybersecurity. We'll look at infosec policies. We'll look at privacy policies. We'll look at any litigations or enforcement actions that are going. And we'll come up for the deal team with what's the risk of acquiring this company. And then we'll also work on the, on the, got the deal docs. Um, so whether it's a purchase agreement or whatever it is to make sure that our clients are appropriately protected you know, during the deal. So that's kind of one big thing that we do. And from my perspective, I review a lot of the stuff that the associates do. So the associates at our firm have really great direct access to those deals, to the deal teams. They'll talk to the management, they'll review the documents, they'll draft it all up and I'll take a look at it. The second thing we do is we do a lot of compliance projects and it spans from you know, a CCPA or a GDPR style sort of really heavy duty privacy to, we do HIPAA, we do Gramm-Leach-Bliley, privacy kinds of privacy and security rule um, kinds of compliance projects as well. And there I have a little bit of a, 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 a bigger hand, you know, we'll help draft up the strategy for it, you know, talk about the kinds of documents or systems or, you know, applications that need to get into place. We often will have our consulting practice help out with that. 
but there's definitely a lot more involvement for me on those because I'm not just reviewing one thing. We're often, it's a long-term project that we're reviewing a lot of different things. And then the third bucket, which I said is kind of the biggest bucket is incident response, regulatory enforcement actions and litigation. Um, and you know, in this year, that will be about 70% of my total time because oftentimes in incidents, clients just want the partners because so much is moving so quickly. They just, they don't, um, there's often not enough time for the associate to be on the call, to synthesize the information, to do the research, talk to the partner to report back. Oftentimes it is, holy smokes, this thing has happened. The FBI is calling, the Wall Street Journal just sent us a request for a quote. What are we gonna to say to anybody? And you're doing it on the fly. So breaches tend to be very heavy for us. Um, and then oftentimes they lead to regulatory enforcement um, actions. And so, you know, those are litigation style proceedings and, and also litigation. Um, and I'll be heading up the litigation. So that's everything from, you know, developing the strategy and responses, prepping witnesses, drafting motions, drafting responses to discovery. Um, and so that's a much heavier touch for me as well. So, you know, it, during any given day, about 70% of my time, like I said, it's gonna be incident response, regulatory enforcement actions, litigation. The other 30% is to often taking care of the other stuff and, and managing it, moving it along. As a partner in a law firm, um, you know, uh, I would say 50% of my day is doing substantive stuff. And the rest of my day is doing firm administration. So I sit on, this, on the firm cyber risk committee. Um, I head up our privacy practice globally, and I also head up the Chicago litigation department. So it's talking to associates, making sure they're getting the opportunities and the advancement that they want to. And then um, a big part of the day is always business development. You know, the, are we satisfying what our clients want? Are we anticipating what they want, where they want to go? And are we sort of, you know, continuing to have that real robust dialogue with our clients where they're continuing to come to us and ask us, you know, more questions, more projects, those kinds of things. So as the cybersecurity and data privacy work group within the firm, you mentioned that there's a large intersection of the work that y'all focus on as a group with a bunch of different stuff across the firm. And I, I would be curious to hear like, what types of things do you get brought in from other teams? And if you could even say, you know, tell me what types of teams pull you in and at what point they pull you in or why? Yeah, so, you know, we actually intersect with nearly every team in the entire firm. Um, you know, we've got our own work breaches come in and whatever the case is, but we do a tremendous amount of support for everybody. And um, this firm was great about it to begin with. But, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to my partners about how we can help their practice groups, how we can help um, with anything that they need. And so people are actually bringing us in even earlier now than they used to. But so what we'll often do is we'll intersect with the deal teams. As I said, we've actually drafted um, a whole set of diligence requests that, that go out day one. It's all part of the process. We have drafted it. We get the information back. So the deal teams know as soon as a deal comes in, um, you know, 10, seven years ago, 10 years ago, um, I would often get like one question the day before closing. Can you give us a rep, a representation of warranty and a contract for privacy and cybersecurity? 
now we actually, you know, some deals, you know, go or don't go based on the cyber risk or the privacy risk that we see. COPPA, TCPA issues, you know, G, um, GDPR issues can actually tank an entire deal now. And so, you know, we're seeing us um, brought in very early. Our national security team brings us in, you know, often. So uh, we work closely with national security on sort of SHREM style data transfers. Um, you know, what does it mean to a company when they get a request? How does the privacy, how do the privacy issues sort of, you know, um, kind of come out? Um, lots of our, we have a, a healthcare practice, we have a financial services practice, anytime that there's privacy related to them, they call us up. Um, back to national security, CFIUS, which is if you have a foreign company acquiring a US company, there's often a, a review by the government of can this can it go forward? And there's often a privacy and cybersecurity component to that. So we get brought into those kinds of things. And although we do our own litigation, a lot of times we get brought in by our litigation practice group who has questions about if I'm going to transfer data of individuals, information, documents, you know, what's it going to look like? How do we do it? How do we do it appropriately so we don't violate? GDPR is always the biggest one, but there are other countries out there. How can we get the data to produce in a U.S. litigation if it's being held somewhere outside the United States? And so, you know, we really get brought into so much across the firm that that we have an opportunity. We're we're constantly on the phone with everybody else, you know, and it's really just not an insular practice group that kind of just does their own thing. Can you share, and obviously you can't disclose current or past clients, um, but would you be willing to share kind of any anecdotes about somebody that brought in, say, let's say a breach, for example, because that's such a huge part of the work that you do. So a company experiences a breach and they come to you, what happens? So. Um, so what happens? Uh, we read so last like 18 months ago, I got a phone call from one of our um, partners in California who said, I've got a client that is merging with a SPAC in, a, in six weeks. And we just learned that a hacktivist stole all their source code and dumped it on the internet. So um, so we were facing a regulatory filing deadline. We had a thing that we knew could shape the entire market for this, um, for this company and, and frankly could even determine whether or not this company survived at the end of the day. Um, and so, you know, our first step in most breaches is to come in Oftentimes, under the best of circumstances, we've worked with the client before, and this is another area where we often will do a deal, we'll be kept on to do compliance afterwards because we've looked at all of the information for the company that's being acquired, it makes sense for us to continue to help, and then we'll be brought in for any incidents that happen afterwards. Um, so in best circumstances, we know everybody, You know, we've met with them before, maybe we've even done a tabletop with them. Um, but most often, we actually are meeting everybody cold for the first time. And, you know, this is a crisis, right? So you have to build trust immediately with the people who are there. And then, you know, oftentimes, as, as silly as it sounds, these incidents are not, they are cyber incidents, but they're really existential incidents um, that have lots of risk for the companies. And so we end up doing a ton of everything. So in that instance, we came in, met the, met the management team. 
Um, as is often the case, we brought in a forensic you know, consulting firm um, like a Mandiant, like a CrowdStrike, Grant Thornton, whoever it is, uh, who came in to try to figure out what happened. We, the law firm, retained them. So it's everything's protected with privilege, which means that we're on all the calls. Everything comes through us first before it goes to the client. And, you know, we're very good about staying away, sort of staying out of the way of the technical discussions. But it is really important for us to understand, oh, you said that this database may have been accessed and it's got PII. So we got to figure out, you know, what this is. Um, and so, you know, those kinds of things are, are sort of how we kind of manage this whole kind of ecosystem of what happens. But in that case, we brought in the forensic consultant, determined that there, I believe it in that instance, there may have been a misconfigured server, person came in, were able to move laterally throughout the environment, pulled the data, published it on the internet. So now all of a sudden we've got this problem. What do we do? How do, you know, how can we reduce the risk for our client? And ultimately what we determined was, this was um, not the current version of the source code, it was a prior version of the source code. And they had a, a system of code signing, which meant that you can't just take the older version and sort of throw it into the newer version um, and overwrite it. Cause we were worried about some sort of solar wind style attack where they modified the source code and then pushed it out to everybody. Um, so, um, we went out, so we drafted communications to customers and with, with the firm, we worked on drafting communications with the Wall Street Journal. We, um, we drafted, you know, and helped draft all the regulatory filings and then ultimately got the client to a point where, you know, the merger went through it. We went out with all this information and people were like, that's really interesting, but ultimately didn't move the needle. So, you know, that was a, a eight to 10 week process ultimately between, you know, pre pre SPAC merger at answering questions and then moving on. Um, but that's really, you know, our role is, is really to help guide and reduce legal risk. And so we end up touching tons of, of all of these incidents um, in all different areas, both, you know, technical, regulatory, legal insurance, the whole nine yards. You mentioned that a lot of the work that you're doing is litigation. Um, I was wondering if you had an anecdote that you could give us about a client that ends up in litigation, like what was the issue that got them there at, or would get someone there? And then what is kind of your role and your team's role in handling something like that? Yeah. Um, so we, so I'll just go with the hot, hot litigation topic of the day, biometrics. Um, you know, many of our clients have been sued for breaches of the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act, which is incredibly broadly drafted and um, has statutory damages and an attorney fee shifting provision in it. So, you know, plaintiff's attorneys can get their attorney's fees. Um, so thousands and thousands and thousands of cases have been filed and we've helped clients in each of the phases. So it's, it's interesting because this law has morphed over time from first it was sort of facial recognition, then it was thumbprints for employees. And now we're back to facial recognition because there's a ton of cases for virtual try on, um, for makeup and things like that. And so, um, 
so for for our role, you know, we're typically if it's a breach, we're typically brought in during the breach response and we stay on in litigation. If it's a biometrics case, it's typically an existing client who comes to us and says, "We just got sued. Can you know? Can you help us out?" Um, and so, you know, my my job is as sort of the senior partner is coming in. We we get a briefing from the client on typically the technology, the incident, you know, whatever the case is take a look at what the claims are in the case and we map out a strategy for for sure this short term and then obviously we try to tip to go for the longer term as well what's the narrative what's the risk what's the exposure of the client and um you know then we then it's just traditional litigation stuff often we file a motion to dismiss to start moving into discovery you know sort of spearheading all of the discovery in the case summary judgment and ultimately trial and We've been very successful at keeping our clients um, out of away from trials. Um, it's obviously the ultimate goal is to try to resolve it amicably as early as possible, which we've been actually we've had two voluntary dismissals of cases against our clients recently on, on virtual try-on. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's really the whole life cycle. We're often just sort of brought in, and it really depends on different kinds of cases. We're also seeing a lot more because of you know, vulnerabilities and, and vendor management issues. We're seeing a ton of company to company litigation in the wake of data breaches. So you, know, you caused a breach and I'm coming after you because I've been damaged for it. And we're seeing a lot of that. Our, you know, just our firm in general doesn't do a ton of kind of like the consumer credit card class actions. Um, firm like King and Spalding, tremendous firm. They do a ton of it. Um, and so, you know, they've been very successful at, at building that business, but it's ultimately not that different. You know, whether they come in during the breach or not, they come in, you know, you, you go after the class to understand what, you know, who should be in the class, who shouldn't be, and then you just proceed with the normal litigation. So this is a bit more of a general question, but, um, or general rather to attorneys that are handling litigation, but specifically within um, data privacy or cybersecurity, I know that there's been some cases that have been redefining um, privileged information in those cases. So like what forensic information yeah. is actually privileged? Like how do you guys stay on top of that or change strategy if there's like some big case that really shifts um, everyone's understanding of what does or does not fall under a specific category in that case? Yeah, so uh, you've hit on a really important topic, um, you know, privilege for information security, forensics, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll run um, for compliance projects, we'll bring in consulting firms to understand what the compliance, process, compliance posture of a company is under privilege, and is that privileged as well. Um, the good news is, is that when there are really seismic shifts, the, the press is very good at picking it up, particularly the legal press. Um, and so, you know, we're pretty attuned to what's coming up and, and what has, what's been decided. But, you know, specifically on the forensic side, it's actually been a slide for the last few years of really beginning to question the privilege of forensic experts. And we do read those cases incredibly closely to determine, you know, how is it that we need to operate to best protect our clients. So used to be that, that the sort of feeling was, is that you could retain the experts or oftentimes what we see is our clients have a retention agreement with the firm 
and they're allocated 200 hours of incident response services. The firm is doing the monitoring. So as soon as they notice that something happens, they just kind of continue on. And we now know from those cases that you actually have to separately retain them, the forensic um, experts, everything's, you gotta have attorneys on everything. You gotta run everything up through the, you know, through legal counsel. And it really needs to be for the purposes of providing legal advice. And for anybody who's lived through an incident, there is a ton of legal advice that happens all the time. You know, on every call we're assessing, do there need to be notifications made? Um, you know, do, should we call the FBI? Should we be calling the regulators? Do we need to file an SEC filing? And so everything that the, that the experts are telling us we're assessing for how, what's the implication for the company on this. Um, but again, you know, I just kind of keep going back to, you know, we've got a great team. If you have a great team working for you, particularly if you can identify the major issues, so, you know, when we had the forensic things coming out and there were a series of cases or CFAA is a great one. We've had a couple of Computer Fraud Abuse Act cases that have gone up to the Supreme Court and gone back down to the courts of appeals and they can really impact business models of our clients. We'll, we'll ask somebody to track it. And so that's how we kind of get it, you know, spinning up. And then obviously just kind of paying attention to the major news outlets and just, you know, running searches on them as you can. Thank you. I had researched that over the summer. I was very curious as to how it's handled in real life because, you know, obviously I'm only looking at case notes afterwards and briefs afterwards. So yep. Yep. Um, before we wrap up, I was hoping you could share maybe one thing about practice in this area that people might not know happens. So this area, unlike others that I've been in, is as much about personal relationships and managing crises as it is about giving legal advice. So, you know, our clients in the middle of a breach or in the middle of a litigation coming afterwards, but particularly in the middle of a breach, often what we're doing is bringing some order to the chaos and um, you know, just sort of general common sense on a lot of different things. And so to give you an example, um, we had a client who was having a big data breach. They had a, a, a DDoS attack, so a distributed denial of service attack, which means that somebody hijacked a bunch of computers and they were constantly hitting our client's website. And our client said, okay, well, maybe what we should do is let's just take the whole thing down. And, you know, and this is totally not legal advice, but I said, that's fine. But this other part of the website that's not getting attacked actually is what your customers are using because they were attacking the public facing website. So this other part of it is what your customers are using. And if you shut that down, then those customers can't operate. And then that poses a different kind of risk to you. Now, there's a little bit of law in there, but mostly it's just knowing your clients well and, and taking having the opportunity to kind of step in when you're not emotionally invested, um, at least not as much as, as the people who are working there and, and looking down at the entire landscape and saying, okay, let's just kind of think through the second and third order implications of what you're about to do. And that is on the breach side in particular, so much of what we do, you know, we review communications, we review, you know, regulatory filings, sure that that's highly technical, 
But a lot of it is just, do we know that to be true? And, you know, that's not quite precise enough. It's actually this thing. And so, you know, bringing that kind of, you know, a little bit of calm and in, in a crisis. I mean, and I never expected that that's what would, you know, the, be the law, you know, the job of the outside counsel, but that's often what it is. So truly being a counselor. Truly being a counselor. Yep. Is there anything that we haven't touched on in our discussion that you think our listeners need to know? Oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> that, that's like the hardest question you've asked me all day. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, I mean, look, so, so I guess the one thing I will say is this is, you know, when I was coming out of law school, I kind of picked just the, the part of the law that interested me. And it was a great choice. And I kind of lucked into to litigation in it and it worked out really well. But I think that, you know, as law school students are coming out, one of the other things you have to think about is, is not just what interests you, but like, what's a great area of growth, you know, for, for a period of time. And there are lots of them out there. You know, you like environmental, you know, you can go into the ESG if you like, you know, um, other socially conscious issues, also sort of like ESG and governance issues are becoming a huge deal. But I think the you know, privacy and cybersecurity is, we, we don't have enough people who know what they're doing. We, you know, there's really a huge need for more people in here. And so I really do think that this is not only a really interesting area of the law, but an area of the law that is gonna have huge growth opportunities for the people who start now will likely be able to end their career doing this and still not have scratched the surface. So I think it's a great, interesting, fun and big growth opportunity. Well, it's exciting to me since I'm very interested and plan to go into data privacy and cybersecurity, but I love that there's constant change and growth in this field. And I really hope that listeners have gotten a better insight into how the the area works and how it's changing and growing. And hopefully we'll see more of my classmates joining me in the cybersecurity and data privacy world soon. We'd love to have them. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much. That's all from us here at The Podvocate, and thank you again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Pettides and yours truly, Marissa Polowitz. Our associate editors are Neka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support that make this show possible. From Loyola University, Chicago School of Law, This has been another episode of The Podvocate.